The following is an audio recording of a Liam Hollow by Fergus Ferguson, which is available on Amazon. I will leave a link in my status or in my bio. The characters and events portrayed in this book are fictitious. Any similarity to real persons, living or dead, is coincidental and not intended by the author. No part of this book may be reproduced or stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form by any means, electronic, mechanical, photocopying, recording or otherwise, without express written permission of the publisher, which is me. Cover designed by Expo Graphics. To Sandra, thank you for your endless love and support throughout everything I choose to do. To the PW crew and Lemonade Station, thank you for the inspiration and words and encouragement for this project. Liam Hollow. Warning, the proceeding is presented to you as is, without redaction or correction of erroneous information. I pace back and forth, channeling whatever calm I can in the sea of darkness as the guy in music gives me the thumbs up to check if I'm ready. I notice my theme music blares through the auditorium, and his opponent, weighing in at 240 pounds, he hails from the void, Liam Hollow. I push through the curtain, stepping through the darkness and into the warm blinding lights as I play to the crowd. I slap some of the hands of the fans and someone yells out, I love you, Hollow. Call me. I motion my hands for a few laughs as I get into the ring and stand upon the second turnbuckle as I soak in the cheers. Easton forearms me in the back and goes in for the beatdown, much to the dismay of the crowd. We work through the match and after a few minutes of Easton beating me down, I hit my big move, signaling the comeback. Crowd rallies behind me as the match gets faster and more explosive. We are both getting pretty exhausted, so we decide to bring it home. I set Easton up for the hollow drop, jumping off the top rope and dropping the elbow on Easton for the three. I celebrate with the crowd and make sure to take note of the woman that yelled out and give her a hug on the way backstage to work the crowd, of course. I rip my mask off and take a seat with Easton, meeting me shortly after to discuss how our match went. I'm not dropping the fucking belt, the volcano screams in the distance as Easton sits down beside me. I wipe the sweat off my face and twirl my mask on my finger as we eavesdrop, but I'm too blown up to get up and witness the commotion. Easton looks at me with an expression that simply reads, Oh shit, but we were both too exhausted to do much more than observe from afar. The volcano could not have picked a better ring name for himself, a volatile and hard to deal with person that is ready to erupt at even the slightest inconvenience. Why he waited until the third match to pull this shit is beyond me. I feel bad for Max, who's finally getting the strap tonight, but I'm guessing by the civil discourse that this isn't happening anymore and this ending is going to suck. I'm just happy to be booked, bro, and hang them up if I get like that. I exclaim to Easton when we laugh only to be quickly cut off by Volk entering the room. He storms and reddens his beetroot and it matches the red tips of his jet black hair, his chemically enhanced physique too close for comfort as he stares both of us down with his dark brown eyes. How was your match, boys? He doesn't actually care, but Easton humors him without knowing he isn't going to get interrupted the second he opens his mouth. Yeah, it went well. Hollow is a great in-ring general, even as a face. Cool. Volk says as Easton was midway through his sentence, can you two believe Sam wants me to drop the belt to Max tonight? Yeah, I can. It's booking 101. This is a perfect time for you to drop the belt, I think to myself. What went to this happen, Easton asked. Now chime in. It's bad booking. Tonight isn't the night for that. You've earned a longer reign than that, Volk. Damn right. You two rookies are learning the business quick, he exclaims and walks off as his ego has been stroked enough to his liking. I'm just out of the rookie stage now and Easton has been wrestling longer than I have, but facts never get in the way of anything in the wrestling business. The undercard matches go off without a hiccup, but you can feel the tension backstage rising, and everyone does their best to stay clear of the volcano. The announcement is made that now is tonight for tonight's main event. Max is introduced as the challenger, and the crowd is red hot for him as he tries to warm up and hide his disappointment before he walks through the curtain. 
Volk holds on to his championship for dear life as his music hits to a chorus of boos. The match is serviceable at best. You can clearly tell Volk is not selling any of the offense that Max is dishing out on him. Max signals for his finishing move, but Volk rolls out of the ring and grabs his championship belt. He rushes back into the ring and strikes Max over the head with the championship, leading to a disqualification. Max is announced as the winner, however, due to the championship's advantage, the Volcano is still the SCW champion. The crowd barely reacts to it and the show ends flat. Volk storms past us and we just put our heads down and let him pass while Max slowly makes his way through the curtain. Max pushes his blonde fringe out of his face and looks at us trying his best to keep together in front of us. Aeson asks if he's okay and he simply replies to the tried and tested tagline that you hear anywhere wrestling drama arises. It is what it is. He asks us where Volk went and he wisely heads in the opposite direction. The backstage area isn't glamorous but it is spacious and there's a place to piss in which is more than I can say for some venues, this may as well be the Hilton. I put my mask back on and start doing a ring crew, hoping to cross paths with the girl from before. She asks me to autograph her event flyer, as I'm yet to have 8x10s of my own. I tell her it'll cost her getting her number, and she counters asking if she'd stay in my hotel room for the night instead. Fair trade, and I accept, regardless of the fact that I do not have a hotel room. I ask her to wait 10 to 15 minutes and we can get out of here. I make my way backstage and bump into the promoter Sam. He gives me my fee for the evening and I thank him for booking me. He's disheveled with his dark blue shirt hanging out untucked with his dress pants, constantly readjusting his glasses as he sorts through the payments for this evening. He gives me the side eyes to clearly make way to find Volg. He's unsurprisingly not lending a hand with packing the ring down. He's dressed at the town for the evening as he's had the opportunity to change and freshen up unlike the rest of us. Are you staying in a hotel tonight, Volk? I ask him retorts. Yes, why? Are you trying to fuck me, Hollow? There's a reason you wear a mask. I muster up a fake laugh and he asks he's going to Norse, and if so, can I borrow his hotel for a few hours? It's pathetic, but it's worth a stab in the dark at this stage. Sure, Hollow, but I want my hotel key back at Norse by 3am, and this isn't free. I try to explain that I'm strapped for cash, but he explains that I can fix him up on the next SCW show. See, I'm a good guy after all, Hollow. Put in the word with the boys for me. I get changed into street clothes, just the simple jeans, sneakers, and a free... SCW pullover hoodie, I was given a few shows back, keeping my mask on as I still have to go out near the fans that are still standing around. I do the customary rounds and shake everyone's hands to say goodbye and find Tiffany again. I lead her through the exit doors and through the back area to my reliable and unremarkable car. Thankfully I've stayed at this hotel before so I'm completely lost as to where Volk's room is. We make our way to the hotel room and Tiffany has said little to nothing at me but is seemingly in a rush. Either I'm going to have a good night or lose a kidney. I realize I've kept my mask on since we left the venue, as she hasn't made reference to it. I'm glad I didn't bump into anyone in this lobby or get pulled over as I may as well be wearing a balaclava driving around at this time of night. She simply tells me to get on the bed, and short story short, she got right down to business, no emotions exchanged in the cold and meaningless encounter. Afterwards, I tell her I have to stop at Norris so that I can take her home. Just drop me, Norris, she demands, and we head out in awkward silence and continues on the short drive over there. Can you drop these keys at reception and tell them they are for Vic Douglas, please? She snatches the keys into my hand and slams the door. I expect her to throw them in a storm drain, but from what I can see, she gives the reception keys back as she signs in. Finally, I rip my mask off in this confusion as I drive off. Not the greatest night, that's for sure, though a sudden switch up in demeanor is puzzling. Thankfully, I have the long night's drive ahead of me, and I didn't have to drive any of the boys home. Something I've received a little bit of heat for. It gives me time to reflect and unwind, to think about things with minimal distraction, I stopped a fuel up, which almost cost me the night's proceeding, and then headed my way in the same lifeless motorway, decorated only by trees, cloaked by darkness, and the road lit up by reflectors to guide me on my journey. 
After roughly two hours, I make it home, pull into the parking lot of my apartment building. I make my way inside and dump my bags down, rush into the shower, which isn't a long distance. Considering my apartment size, I feel it's absolutely divine to wash the night sweat off and call it a night. No Sunday booking, so I have a day to rest up and rejuvenate. I'm waking up by a barrage of text messages. I check to see whether someone in the business has passed away. Turns out Sam decided to strip the volcano of his SCW Heavyweight Championship after his dummy spit, and the boys are messaging me to gossip about it. Classic case of telegram, telephone, telewrestler. Speaking of the devil, my phone rings, and it's Volk trying to ring me. I ignore him and go back to reading the gossip, yet he persists and rings me again, resulting in me blocking his number. I told him I'll pay him back the next time he's at SCW. If that's never, then that isn't my problem. I haven't even got out of bed yet, and I'm already in a foul mood. I decide to channel my frustrations, roll off my mattress, and hit the community center gym. It's nothing fancy and gets cramped at times, but it's much cheaper than using any of the commercial gyms, so it does the job most of the time, like I do. My back begins to bother me throughout the workout, but I power through the workout, continually get irritated by one guy constantly staring at me as he does bicep curls in his cut-off t-shirt with nothing to show for it. I pull my hoodie over my face, continue only to be interrupted shortly after with a tap on the shoulder. Excuse me, do I know you from somewhere? He asked timidly. I don't think so. Sorry, buddy. I slammed turned to my deadlift. Not many people as jacked as you. What do you do for work? He asks. Thanks, bro. I clean. I laugh in response as he walks off, still confused and seemingly convinced I'm lying. I'm not. I get to play Liam Hollow every weekend and pretend to live the dream, but during the week, reality hits and I clean whatever I'm contracted to. Malls, schools, houses, the very rare crime scene, but not a lot of repeat business with that in this area. And as Monday rolls around, that's what I'm doing, mopping floors until they're absolutely spotless. I take pride in my work and ensure all jobs are done to absolute perfection, as monotonous as it can be. I can't deny the dopamine hit when I've turned an area covered in filth to a pristine environment. The week slowly drags on, it's finally the weekend. The week of being plain old Brian Holloway is done, and the weekend of being the beloved Liam Hollow is upon me again. I start packing my bags and go through my internal checklist. My red and black mask, tights and boots are all perfectly color-coordinated, gum, wrist tape, towel, elbow pads, and most importantly, knee pads. Wrestling without knee pads is not something I'll ever recommend unless for some unknown reason you want to cause serious injury to yourself, then be my guest. Tonight, I'm wrestling for ZWZ and taking on Axeman in a singles match. I started off as a tag team wrestler, but learned quickly that wasn't the way to go for me. But it heads too much to get anything going creatively or have any chemistry. I've worked with Axeman a few times before. He has a Viking gimmick with a look and size to match it. He is a snug murker, which means he's going to make his stuff look as real as possible without injuring me, so it'll be a hard day at the office. Nothing personal against me, it's just that some guys prefer to work, and I'm not afraid of throwing in a few receipts if needs be. The daytime drives are the opposite of the night drives. You are stressed about your upcoming match and getting to the venue at times, as well as dealing with the chaotic driving of people traveling for the weekend, especially caravan drivers that will not let you overtake, even if their and your life depends on it. Times like this, I consider getting a traveling partner for splitting the fuel costs at least, but it'll inevitably turn into heat between my travel partner and I when some wrestling politics arises. Pro wrestling is incredibly political. It's basically a yearly award show that everyone chimes in claiming person X was robbed, person Y deserves this award, but it's for every single event. Every single action and move you make can be considered a political play, just as some things as simple as not shaking another wrestler's hand by accident can lend you nuclear amounts of heat. Even actively trying to stay out of politics as much as possible is considered by some to be the most political move you can make, so there's a real catch-22 situation. 
It's an absolutely beautiful day with not a cloud in sight, yet it'll be a perfect day for the beach if I didn't have a show to perform. I get to ZWZ and I don't know many of the workers, but I still make sure I introduce myself. I've been met with, nice to meet you too, which makes me want to headbutt a brick wall when they're upset. I don't remember their names that they never told me later on. I make sure to say hello to the most important people, Axeman and Toby, the ZWZ promoter. I help set up the rings, Axeman and I tell them my ideas for the match, only to be informed it's only to be a squash match with Axeman going over clean. Easy night for me at least, which is a good thing as I have another booking tomorrow night. Time ticks by fast and match time is almost here as I get into gear, completing the final piece of the puzzle as I place my mask over my face and tighten it. As Axeman receives jeers from the crowd, I embrace the pre-match nerves waiting for my music to hit. I take a deep breath as I stretch and goosebumps overwhelm my entire body and I fidget restlessly. No matter what happens, the river keeps flowing and the show keeps going, so as the first few notes of my theme song hit, I storm through the curtain. The pop isn't as good, which is understandable considering the draw isn't great and I haven't worked ZWZ all that much. I still work to the crowd as much as I can to try and get them hyped up before the match begins. The bell rings and Axeman and I circle the ring and start with the classic collar elbow tire. Axeman overpowers me and I roll back, shaking my head in disbelief to the crowd who's able to beat me at the game of strength. A lot of fans get into wrestling fully understand that business is at work and can't put their egos aside and have to pretend to be beaten up and sell offense which is incredibly bizarre but fortunately I'm not one of those people. I run in for a clothesline and hits me with a power slam, almost under-rotating and dumping me on my head. He picks me back up, clubs me over the shoulders, and then ramps his knee in my face. Lucky I'm able to turn my face to the side, but I'm not so lucky on the finish, as he hoists me up for a powerbomb, but doesn't give me time to base myself, and I land awkwardly in the right side of my back as he covers me for the three. As Axeman celebrates his victory, I limp my way to the back, holding the back of my head as I pass through the curtain. Toby looks at me as he thinks I'm about to stop selling the second the curtain closes, as most of the boys do, but he realizes I'm a bit banged up. I rip my mask off to check if there's any blood coming from my nose while Toby asks me if I'm okay. He didn't stiff you out there, did he, Hollow? I tell him everything is fine as I don't have enough stroke to do anything about it if it was intentional, but Axeman just seemed particularly careless tonight. Axeman comes through the curtain, shakes my hand, thanking me for the match and walks off. I was at least expecting an apology for the few stiff shops as he's been around long enough to know when someone is selling or they're legitimately in pain. Toby fixes up my fee, which is disappointingly lower than I was expecting as I get changed and get ready to hit the road again. Holler, I heard you owe the volcano some money because you borrowed his hotel to bang a rat in. I hear from one of the boys who didn't introduce himself. Rat meaning ring rats, the progressive term to use to group groupies of the wrestling business. Before I can confirm or deny, someone chimes in with fuck that guy and the room interrupts with laughter before I can even answer. You've got a long drive ahead of you, don't you, Hollow? One of the nameless asked me. What do you mean? I'm working PLO tomorrow at the Ridge. I ask in absolute confusion. No, man, it's at the palace. I retort only for him to load up a picture of the poster on his phone. That's double the drive we're expecting. It's going to be a full four hours to get there. Guess I better get going, guys. Nice to meet you as I hurry off to my reliable and unremarkable car. I put in the address of the palace, which is not royal in any sense of the word, into my navigation system and count through my fee for this evening. I don't run the AC, so I should be able to fuel up, get a shower, and get something light to eat at the roadhouse. Incredibly frustrating considering I thought the show was at the Ridge. I never pulled out of a show and I don't intend to now, so I'm hoping the pay is better tomorrow night. Driving through the night calms me slowly as I travel along the all too familiar freeway. The more you travel around this country, the more you realize how many roads and places are set almost identically, and tends to all blend together, describing the various motorways, exits, roadhouses, and drive through towns sound like yourself, repeating yourself over and over. I hit the halfway mark and pull up to the roadhouse, the large beacon of light, and all the travelers are accustomed to, 
the warmth of the late night clerks barely making eye contact as they continue their phone conversations on their earpiece and calculate the cost of your items without scanning them. They know they don't have to fake their persona to get sales. Gas stations don't go out of business. Thankfully, fuel is a lot cheaper than usual, so it gives you some extra cash to spare to eat some nutritious and fresh gas station food. Shower feels like rains for the gods, one of the absolute best feelings after a long day as I leave my ring gear to soak in the basin as I wash it. I feel like I've really made it when I have multiple sets of ring gear, hoping my mask isn't ripped anytime soon. It's not too far from sunset, so I heat up my gear to dry in the car, consume my overpriced sandwich and milk, and pull up for the night. I feel like I've blinked, it's time to hit the road again so I can make it to the arena in time for the ring crew. Just like travelling through the motorways that all blend together, it's the same for different promotions. Same routine, same blur of faces and forced pleasantries with every promotion thinking they're better than the last. It's not like the big leagues where you contracted to the one company. You accept multiple offers at different promotions each weekend and hope the promotions you work for don't overlap. Some will try to coerce their rest into not working for rival promotions, reminiscent of the old territory days. However, it's a hard sell as the paydays aren't much more than a hot dog and a handshake, at least in my current position on the card. Some main event guys I've heard make pretty decent money, but I'll believe it when I see it with my own eyes. Not something people are very eager to discuss other than the arguing with the promoter. Another hot day that I could be elsewhere is all part of the journey, hoping to get signed and make this a living one day. Tonight I'm wrestling Max, as he's booked over here also. Going to be a hard match to work, considering we're both baby faces, but he's made it through working Volker for his temper tantrum, he can make this work. Getting to the building, set up the ring, meet the unfamiliar nice to meet you faces, and go through my match, the usual stick. Max and I are going to have a 15 minute match for the opener, a little long to open, but with the promoter wants some high flying stuff from Max, and he wants to be a fast paced matchup. At least the nerves won't last long, not that I've been in a main event match before, but I've been in the filler match beforehand, and it feels like an eternity for your place on the card. I get a look at the crowd from the monitor, and yet again the crowd isn't great, not surprising when even I had the wrong venue. Same story, riddled with nerves and butterflies as Max makes his entrance, and I tie my mask tight. Since the very beginning, I've always wrestled with a mask on. The irony of people asking for a photo with me always every weekend, yet none of them have seen my true face or know my real name. Liam Hollow walks to the curtain and I enter to a mixed reaction, as to be expected for a face-versus-face -face match. He starts working way too fast and I'm getting blown up faster than usual. Partly due to me slacking off in cardio and partly Max not knowing to slow it down as I'm a bigger guy. He runs at me with a crossbody and I counter and slam him to the mat. Slow it down, brother, I tell him as I put him in a headlock for a rest hold. I struggle through the rest of the match to keep up as he doesn't hear my warning. He hits me with every high-flying move he can think of. I'm guessing it's only 10 minutes of best throughout the match, but Max tells me to bring it home, and I'm getting too gassed to disagree. I hit him with a powerbomb that's set up for the hollow elbow. Some people have told me to leave the top rope finishes to the smaller guys, but people buy that the match is over when I drop the elbow. The referee slams his hand on the mat for the third time, and I'm declared the winner of tonight's contest. I celebrate my victory, trying to get the crowd going. Not a huge reaction. Clearly they aren't warmed up yet, which is disappointing as that was the aim of the opener. I hit the back, only to be met with Toby and Max waiting for me as soon as I walk through the curtain. What was that, Hollow? I told you to go 15. Promoter barked at me. I simply shrugged my shoulders as I ripped my mask off. Hollow was blown up, so I called it early, Max responds. I didn't ask you to bring it home, Max. I retorted as stared daggers into Max. I should have seen this coming. Max got Chinese whispers of the Volk situation and thinks I was trying to buddy up to Volk, which automatically makes me have heat with Max by proxy. It is what it is, bro. Thanks for the match, Max exclaims, as he gestures his hand for the most insincere handshake I've ever received. I just laugh in disgust and head off to get changed. I wipe the sweat off my body and change back into my street clothes from yesterday as I grab a seat in the corner not to be disturbed. 
Normally I watch the rest of the card on the monitor, but just trying to calm down from Max trying to double cross me. More so disappointed in myself from not sensing it was coming. I should have just told him to keep going even if gas, but telling him to slow down didn't work either. I keep my head down and aimlessly scroll through my phone, ignoring the chatter of every worker bragging about the crowd reaction to every single match despite it barely being audible from where I'm sitting, but not many wrestlers live in reality. Maybe that's what attracted them to this business. Show finally finishes up and I see a few guys walking back from the entryway with their feet. I find the promoter and ask if I can have mine for this evening. He tells me the draw wasn't great so it isn't much and next time stick to my time. I thank you for the booking telling when it happened again they prepare for the night's drive skipping the pleasantries. Luckily I had some spare cash left over from last night as this would just cover a meal after I get enough fuel to get home. The calming night sky isn't doing much to bring about any serenity as I travel down the exact same roads, just darker and in the opposite direction. I definitely can't afford any fines at the moment, so I angrily drive to the speed limit in the middle of the night, only encountering passing cars every 20 minutes or so. Adrenaline is also wearing off, so the bumps and bruises from the two matches are definitely beginning to take their toll. I finally make it back to the roadhouse to fuel up and get a shower ticket, as I don't have enough to get something to eat as well, so I have to wait until I get home. I'd normally just grab something to eat, but I want to wash myself properly and try to calm down as I'm absolutely livid about how the night panned out. I head around the back of the roundhouse and get into the shower room as I lock the door and take a deep breath. I look at myself in the stained mirror, disappointed over the weekend as I wash my hands in the grimy basin, preparing to put my arms to good use to turn the rusting taps to get my shower started. Really living the dream to travel hours on end just to rest for less than 15 minutes total and just break even on expenses for the weekend. I hear a loud banging on the door and tell them to go away, but they insist and tell me to hurry up. Hurry up, I just got into the damn room. They yet again smack on the door and I oblige and open it. I open the door absolutely livid. A knife is lodged at me and the fight mode kicks in and I quickly sidestep, tripping the assailant to the ground as they appear as a blur of grey and black clothing. I hear a loud thud as they hit the ground and I kick them repeatedly in their face, trying to get my foot stuck in their hoodie, unable to get a good look at them due to the dim lighting. Blood trickles onto the tiles as they stop screaming. That's my cue to leave. I don't bother to even try to get a better look at them as I grab my bags, pull my own hoodie over my face, and rush back to my car. Fucking junkies, man. Can't even get a quick shower in now. I have to drive the rest of the way, still unfed and unclean. I'm on the final stretch of the road, even more irate than I was before, but I stay optimistic as it's less than an hour until I get home. I see sirens in the distance, hoping they're about to pass by, but it quickly becomes clear they want to pull me over. You have to be kidding me. Hardly any cars on the road tonight and this is the night the police are patrolling the empty motorways. I carefully consider my statement in my head as the officer approaches my car. Officer shines the torch on my face but years of walking out to bright lights doesn't faze me and I await expressionless for her to ask me the standard questions. I give her my information as she assesses my ID. She informs me that she's pulled me over for a random alcohol and drug test after asking me if I consumed any alcohol or taken any drugs as this is any point in lying. She looks at my hastily stuffed gym bag and looks back at me expecting to find some sense of anxiety in my face. Despite my bag being free of any contraband, I still learn to hide my facial expressions when needed, a bonus of having to wear a mask and not rely on my face every weekend to convey emotions. Thank you sir, you're good to go. Why I thought it would be related to the incident at the roadhouse is beyond me. Chunky's attacking someone at Twim is hardly cause for concern if they came off second best. The sense of relief washes over me and shortly after I finally make it home. I get in my much-needed free shower, I eat leftovers from Friday, and call it a night just so I can wake up in a few hours and start the usual routine of mopping floors and cleaning windows. It all begins again. 
I blink and roll myself out of my grounded mattress to pull myself up and get ready for the day. A sharp pain surges through my back as I get to a vertical vase and brush it off as the usual wear and tear of the weekend. It continues throughout as I start my commute through the slow standstill traffic through the morning sun, the cacophony of horns and engine noise as everyone is in a rush to get to their week of mundane misery on time. I get my cleaning gear out of my trunk, which is just as extensive as my checklist for my wrestling gig on the weekends, as I prepare for a residential cleaning day to make a property look immaculate before it goes up for sale. Probably the most taxing job I could have at the moment, and that's to be the day my back is flaring up, but I push through it. The resident returns an elderly lady who would have struggled a lot more than I, trying to clean her house as tiny as it may be. She remarks the house looks as this has never been lived in, and that I did a fantastic job, offering me a tip that is more than my weekend rate combined, which I gladly accept. One benefit of having the horrors of cleaning up a few trauma scenes under my belt is it teaches you to pay attention to detail and makes other cleaning jobs a lot more pleasant. Spending the afternoon cleaning down the window sills of a house going on the market is nothing compared to scrubbing the blood of a hotel bathtub after someone checked out permanently to make sure the next guest enjoys their stay. The week improves with simpler jobs throughout the build-up to the weekend's proceedings, though my back is not letting up in any capacity. I love to at least get to the stage of expenses at least being covered for my weekend adventures, tiring using money from my daytime gig to support my habit. Only one matchup this weekend, so I'm hoping I can phone it in a little bit or work with someone that can at least carry me throughout without bumping me around too much. It's the weekend again, time for another collage of the nameless nice-to-meet-you-too marks that I've probably met before and another weasel promoter to deal with as they all believe whatever generic three-letter company they are pushing is comparable to the big leagues. The happy-to-be-there mantra is slowly wearing out its welcome as I spend another sunny Saturday traveling through the countryside and being cut off by equally intelligent wildlife and caravan drivers. I get to the arena and I see I've got a missed call from Sam, the promoter from SCW. I call him back and he informs me that talent scouts are going to be at his next show, so everyone needs to be in the air game. Yeah, if this news is actually true, I completely phone it in in front of talent scouts, leave it for nights like tonight. Despite my dislike of tag team matches, I'm in one tonight teaming with another masked wrestler, because of lazy booking, to take on the unrelated Rand Brothers. I do my best to leave most of the match to masked man number two. I come in the end to perform my greatest hits and then get rolled up by one of the unrelated Rand Brothers for the three. Another day, another job done. I help to pack up the ring after the show and a fan approaches me for a photo and I happily oblige. I didn't ask, but he insists on telling me his life story about he and his girlfriend are huge wrestling fans and they're planning to get engaged soon. No explanation as to why she isn't here then, but I don't care for the reason either. He gets his selfie with me and scrolls through his phone to show me his girl. He's lucky I'm wearing a mask, this is one of the few times I can't hide my genuine shock. It's Tiffany of Hotel Fame. I tell him he's too young to get married and I tell him to focus on his career and he gives me a disgusted look and walks away to get a photo with another baby face. I get changed and ready to head home for the weekend, Sunday off to rest my back. As soon as that thought crosses my mind, I get a message from Lloyd, the promoter of BWC, which is only about an hour drive from the current venue. Yo holla, can you work resonant tomorrow for the hardcore belt? As much as reading that text wants me to slam myself through broken glass, I'm hesitant considering my back situation and a death match is no walk in the park. I receive another message. You win the belt and my eyes light up. This would be the first championship win and give me some buzz going to the SCW show with a talent scout there and most importantly give me a bit more of an edge to negotiate my paydays. 
Really an offer I can't refuse and I tell him I'll be there. I've given my fee for extensive effort in my tag team match and it's right to phone it in as the payday is enough to dine at any fine establishment as long as I don't get the extra large combo. Out of earshot of the promoter, ask the boys in the locker room if any of them know what the BWC paydays are like. Better than here, one of them laughs and the chimes in, enough for you to buy thumbtacks and raise a wire, one of them says dismissively as they begin to argue about whether deathmatch wrestling is real wrestling or not. I don't care what it is, as long as they pay me real money and I'm winning that belt as promised, I will be there. I step outside in the corner of the smokers area and tip a bottle of water over myself, doing my best to wash myself down before the oncoming drive. Not worth the fuel cost of driving back to the roadhouse, there isn't another on the way to BWC which is being held in one of the pavilions at a showground so it should be fairly easy to find a park. Normally I would be correct in that assessment but I pull up to realise it's a weekend fair which makes a lot of sense the more I think about it. Thankfully no one is at the ticket booth so I drive through unbothered and pull up. Always a catch as I get out to jump into my back seat and into my sleeping bag. I made it in time for the night's main event as the firework display starts and I lean on the side of my car to watch the show as my back begins to hurt from standing up unassisted. Sometimes it's amazing where wrestling takes you. Something as simple as staring up in the night sky being lit up in wonderment is enough to temporarily lift my spirits for the weekend. I get in my sleeping bag and do my best to drown at the sounds of the final stretch of people screaming on their final ride of the evening and others scurrying off now to beat the traffic. I close my eyes and open them to sunlight and a loud banging noise on the hood of my car. Sir, open up. Sir, open up. Sir, open up. I hear repeatedly as I try to get out of my damn sleeping bag and out of the car. My frustration is rising as trying to perform such a basic task is proving difficult due to the incessant banging. What the fuck do you want? I ask as I storm out of the car and realize it's a ticket inspector. So you can't sleep here, nor can you be using that language toward me. I explain that I'm here to perform at the wrestling event, but he tells me I need some backstage pass that I should have been given yesterday. I explain as a last minute replacement, so I only got the call last night. He asks if the wrestling organizer is here to speak to directly as if he's going to be wide awake strolling through the showground at what I presume is 7am for a show that starts at 7pm. We all know how indie wrestling is famed for its punctuality. I tell him I'll charge my phone so I can give Lloyd a call. He asks where I'm going to charge it and I point at the charger plugged into the cigarette lighter in my car and the inspector storms off in a huff. I get back in to lay down for the day until I get a message that roll call will be at 3pm. I make sure the coast is clear for the ticket inspector and make my way into the fairground. I walk around the fairground aimlessly as the carnies try to lure me into various sideshows when I see a scrawny teenager handing me flies and he yells out as much as his vocal cords will allow, Card has changed tonight, the BWC champion Reznor takes on the mysterious masked man Liam Hollow in a hardcore deathmatch. Interrupt his spiels, he's generally surprised that I'm taking a flyer. I look to see that the Volcano was the original contender for the championship, so I'm not surprised they couldn't come to an agreement there. Oh man, I can't wait to watch Reznor destroy Liam Hollow in that deathmatch tonight. It's going to be crazy, I remark to him as I masquerade as a superfan. Yeah, Hollow's got no chance. All he does is drop that lame elbow drop, he tells me. He asks if I need to buy any additional tickets as they're always selling fast, never slowly or at a moderate pace, and I assure him I'm all set. I walk through the eatery area where people are seated and look around at the various overpriced and oily junk on offer. I spot a discarded half-eaten meal and gravitate towards it like a moth to flame. I get some odd stares, but a free meal is a free meal. I finish up and make my way to the building for the 3pm sharp meeting. Only a few people standing around, including the flyer kid from earlier. I recognize the wrestler Mindy Mayhem 
Ashley's been getting booked pretty consistently since her debut. Besides her rainbow hair and kaleidoscope style makeup, the compliment her green eyes are really noticeable from afar, which is exactly what you want as a performer, especially if you have a smaller frame like she does. We can make small talk as the flyer kid keeps staring at me as if I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe I need to hit the gym more. I shake his hand and tell him nice to meet you, to which of course he responds, nice to meet you too. As I release his hand from my grip, I smack my elbow with my hand and he looks at me frozen as the puzzle pieces form together. I'll try to come up with something new tonight, don't worry, I tell him and we laugh it off as we wait for the others to arrive. Mindy asks if I can watch her match tonight for any tips and asks if I have any ideas for my match. Get hit with stuff, I remark as most of the crew shows up. 5pm rolls around, everyone's prepped and ready for the 3pm meeting as Lloyd goes through the ins and outs of the show with bursts of applause between each announcement. Finally gets to my match. As you all know, the card is always subject to change. That's why tonight Liam Hollow is filling in for the volcano and he'll be going against Reznor tonight for the belt. You can hear a pin drop as the BWC faithful stare digs in my direction and no sell it as I stare intently at Lloyd as if I'll get a pay reduction for every time I blink. Reznor pulls me aside and we go through the matchup and it's as expected. Thumbtacks, barbed wire, broken glass and various household appliances. He brushes his jet black hair out of his eyes and cleans his sunglasses with his outstretched arm consisting of home jump tattoos and battle scars. He tells me I ever need some ink, he knows the guy. I'll take his word for it. Besides, I can't be a mysterious masked man for the odd chance a fan recognises my ink in public when I'm unmasked. He asks me if I'm okay with blading, asks him if he's okay with slicing through layers of fabric, and he quickly realises his mistake. Finally, it's showtime as we wait cramped backstage as the crowd pours in, and we try in vain to fan off the increasing heat backstage with towels and holding lukewarm water bottles. I watch Mindy's match peeking through the edge of the curtain as there's no monitor for the show, let alone a ceiling fan, and she has a pretty good match for a rookie and that he'll easily control the flow of the match. I attempt to congratulate her after the fact, but Resnar pulls me away to discuss the artistic process of our match as he discusses in detail the various gimmicks he's going to hit me with. It is now time for tonight's main event, the announcer proclaims as his voice echoes throughout the pavilion and shakes the wall. The interior of the pavilion looks like it would collapse from a small gust of wind, but the crowd is at capacity, so they are my concern and not any structural concerns. I wipe the sweat from my brow to no avail and pull my mask over my face as I'm announced to the ring. The overwhelming heat is enough a distraction for the nerves as I storm through the curtain. It's clear immediately the baby's face stick isn't going to work in that Reznor is their man. Ironic that he discussed the ins and outs of the gimmick spots with him, you never considered that I may need to work heel for this match. I get into the ring that's already been christened with various weapons and sharp objects as I swipe them away with my boots and climb the second rope to a chorus of bruises. This is going to be fun. Reznor's music hits a thunderous applause as he storms the ring with a steel chair that repeatedly headbutts during his entrance. Reznor chants for the pavilion as he enters the ring and we start our stare down. We press against each other face to face and I inform Reznor I'll heal it up and he tells me good call as we pretend to trash talk each other. I hit him with a cheap shot and he retaliates much to the crowd's delight. As much as they beg for it, we hold off on the weapons as long as possible. The temperature in the pavilion makes it feel like a sauna as we go into the heat of the matchup. I hit Reznor over the back with a chair as he falls to the mat. I taught the crowd as I hold him in a headlock as they call for violence and bloodshed, give him some old school grappling and try to give myself an opportunity to get some oxygen. Reznor gradually breaks out of it as he hypes the crowd up, driving his elbow into my ribs. I feel a sticking pain over my back as Reznor strikes me with a kendo stick twice. Upon the third strike, I grab the kendo stick in my arm and kick him in the midsection to get my revenge. 
I rip the kendo stick away and strike him across the ribs, drawing blood. The mayhem begins to ramp up as he exchanges blows back and forth with various household objects. Resnar sets up the sheet glass in the corner as I try to draw any breath out of the room in the opposing corner. My mask feels as if it's going to be permanently melted onto my face as the sweat from my brow drips into my eyes, stinging them as I repeatedly blink as the line of attack to stop the stinging. Reznar marches towards me and I throw him into my corner, hitting him with a few strikes before calling an Irish whip. I look over my shoulder to make sure the glass is still set in stone as I prefer to assist him in being smashed through it. He calls a reversal and I have no choice other than to go with it and now I'm the one launched at the sheet of glass. I hear the shattering and the crowd roar as I make impact and the shards of glass fly through the ring. Reznar goes for the cover and I kick out at two and it's a genuine struggle to do so as the gloved hand of the referee almost hits the mat for the three. Reznar tells me to gig him and slightly kicks the roll of barbed wire toward me as he plays to the crowd. I use the ropes to pull myself up, observing the blood and shards of glass covering my forearm as I hold the barbed wire in my other hand. I grab Reznar's head and press the sharp wire bar into his forehead. The louder the crowd screams in awe, the longer I hold it in there as the blood coats my fingers. I press him down to the mat for an unsuccessful pinfall and he gets on the attack. He gets to a vertical base as his crimson red face and jet black hair resemble a demon waiting to take my soul. He goes back onto the attack and winds up for a chair shot. I don't get my arms in time and he bounces off my skull, the melting mask offering little protection in it as my head begins to ache and a slight blur of silver light accompanies it. No selling is needed as I lay exhausted on the mat, the broken glass digging into my body and the welts across my skin from the kendo stick are at least keeping my continuing back pain in third place. Resnar calls a dive and a roll to the outside of the ring. From what I can see, from the one eye I am keeping open, Trish's half the stinging as the faces in the front row, staring at me in horror, a car accident they can't keep their eyes off as Resnar runs to the middle of the ring and jumps to the outside. I manage to catch him out of instinct as I fall back first on the concrete below with his weight on top of me. Resnar lays over me to get his breath back as his blood paints my chest and this is awesome chant fills the pavilion. No candidates in a hardcore match who have the opportunity for a breather, but Reznar is too amped by the crowd to take it. He grabs the back of my mask and drives me into the turnbuckle post, head first as my temple thuds into the steel. Table, bring it home, Reznar whispers to me as I try to use the edge of my mask to rub my head, but it feels like it's been glued into my skull from perspiration. I hold my head down to the apron, trying to massage my head in any manner I can when I hear the crowd roar in delight. I hear a squeaking sound, a thud that won't only compare to a tiny patter of rain before it's drowned up with fans chanting for Reznor. I make my way back to the ring, cautious not to slip on any of the various objects scattered throughout as I see the point of interest. A wooden table set up in the center of the ring with a golden blur of what I presume are thumbtacks scattered across it as I struggle to keep my remaining eye open. Reznor strikes me and calls me to powerbomb me through it. I kick him in the abdomen and set him up in position. My arm shake as I trying to lose my grip from the warm blood as my legs begin to shake. You good, bro? I force my eye open, yelling as I muster up all my remaining strength to get him up on my shoulders. As not pretty, but most importantly, I protect him and make sure I don't dump him on his head. Just safely driving through a wooden table that can now confirm a coated in thumbtacks as the crowd loses its collective mind. I whisper to Reznor and I bring him home as I inadvertently press some thumbtacks into my palm as I set up for the cover. I look up the ceiling, the large lights feeling like the warm sun burning into my skin as the referee slips his hand to the canvas. One, the crowd chants in unison as the referee pulls his hand back up. Two, they roar in a mixture of excitement and anxiousness 
as they are a second away from their beloved hero being dethroned. Reznor pushes against me and yells, hit your fucking elbow, as the third slap of the mat never comes. Two, two, the referee yells to the crowd in reassurance, as the pavilion can't believe it. I rely on the sounds as the pavilion is now merely a mirage, and I step to the outside of the apron, gripping the ropes and relying on touch to guide myself to the corner. I take a deep breath as my head throbs in pain and my legs aren't following instructions as I slowly climb up to position myself for the hollow elbow and become the BWC champion. The vomiting finally ceases and I begin to concentrate on slowing down in my rapid breathing as I look down at the basin that's almost overflowing with vile. Basin? I touch my face and I'm relieved to feel my own skin as I come to my bearings so I look to the four corners to establish where I am. How did I get back here? I slowly move my head and look up into the mirror, examining the countless cuts and welts displayed all over my body. There are no signs of any thumbtacks. I struggle to stand up straight as I limp into my living room and the continuous beeping of my alarm feels like a siren. My gym bat is sitting haphazardly stuck with a post-it note stuck in the front of it what appears to be a replica wrestling belt. I make a few more short steps into my bedroom and punch my alarm clock to stop the beeping. It's struggled to turn the tap as I get into the shower and grip my teeth for what's to come. I cringe as the stinging sensation overwhelms me and I manage to keep my hand steadily enough to grab the soap. I laugh to mask the pain as the water stabs into my wound and I rub the soap over them. I get dressed, throw in a coat to cover my cuts and head out to start my beautiful Monday morning of work and read the post-it note on the way outside and it reads, Pay your parking ticket, MM, in the neatest handwriting I've ever seen. I make my way out to my thankfully returned and intact car as I wait until I'm stuck bumper to bumper on the road around tons of steel that could collide with me and crush me to death at a moment's notice to put the puzzle pieces together. As my luck would have it, the lights hit E and if it wasn't enough pain, I'll have to get fuel on my morning commute. Rough weekend, the clerk asks me as he tells me the price of my water and gum and actually scams them as there aren't overseas soccer games to watch at this time of the morning. Should have seen the other guy, I tell him as I open my wallet. I use a singular note in my wallet which thankfully covers expenses as I wonder if I was even compensated for my match. I check my phone to see they have two messages. The first is a message that reads, Hey hello, in case you can't remember any of last night, we drove you and your junk box of a car home last night. Take care, MM. Well, it's safe to assume Mickey Mouse isn't messaging me, but considering how much my head hurts, I'm surprised that there isn't cartoon birds Fly around my head. I make it work. Just a commercial cleaning job for today so I can grind my way through it. The work week is absolute hell as I spend my nights laying on my mattress resting my back. I'm thankful they didn't take me to the hospital as I don't have insurance to cover this shit. Sam calls me through the week to ask if I'd still work Sly Steel for SCW on the weekend as he heard I got pretty banged up. The weekend? Oh, you have to be kidding me. I thought it was a week away. I assure him I'll still be there. This is the biggest opportunity I've had in my wrestling career so far. As long as I'm still breathing, I'll be there as much of an ordeal as this will be. I repack my bags for the weekend trip and discover two envelopes and realize my fee was in my bag the entire time, which is a huge relief, especially considering the generous payday I received. The ordeal begins as even sitting in the car driving to the venue is uncomfortable for my back, constantly readjusting and lurching forward every few minutes while keeping my concentration. Steele is a veteran of the indie scene, so I'm really hoping he can carry me through this match with my current affliction, but he's also not a miracle worker. I do my best not to sell the pain on arrival, but I get odd looks as I struggle to ring crew 
offer the customary handshakes. Sam asked me again if I'd be okay to compete, and I reassure him it's fine. I can guarantee there were so many people trying to take my spot on the reserves, though, this week, thinking I wouldn't be there. My pain and stress are exacerbated by the fact that steel is nowhere to be seen as bell time is drawing near. The tension in the backstage area is immense as everyone thinks they have a chance of getting signed to the big leagues tonight, regardless of their talent or ability in the ring. No one is saying it, but it's clear they think I should have been pulled from the card because of my condition. I walk away from the hostility and attempt to clear my held elsewhere, only for my piece to be disrupted as there's a loud chopping noise in the makeup room. I open the door as the irritation gets better of me, only to be chastised instantly. Shut the fucking door, hollow! Hades screams at me as he smashes his fist down on the bench, almost breaking his plate. I shut the door and he stares up at me wide-eyed with his dilated pupils that I can barely tell a green and grab me his frosted tips out of frustration for my intrusion. Listen, Hollow, I'll give you some of this shit if you don't snitch to Sam, alright? Hayes exclaims as he moves his head to show the remaining cocaine on his plate. I hesitate, but I can tell I'm not leaving this room without taking a hit or Hades thinking that I'm a rat. I slowly sit next to him as my back flares up and he remarks that you need this shit more than I do. We do a line together and he shortly after reminds me that I need to get some of my match sorted out as I'm early on the card tonight, but if I ever need anything, to let him know. I make my way to the room and walk directly into the chiseled chest of steel, who even towers over me. I look up to his psychotic expression and crew cut hair. Where you been at, hello? He chastises me and goes a huge rant about I'm disrespecting the business and wasting an opportunity like he's my drill instructor yelling at me in his camouflage butchers. If it was possible for his face to go red, it would have by now as I'm enjoying the high too much to care. Introducing first, the announcer booms as Steele's entrance hits and he tells me, I'll call in the ring, kid, and storms out the curtain. Our match is now. I quickly lace my boots and check my wrist tape as the music guy looks at me bewildered. Where's your mask? My mask! I run to the crowded backstage area from before, blatantly pushing past people as they huddle together, going throughout their match and blocking the entryway. And his opponent, weighing in at 240 pounds and hailing from the void, blasts through the room as I tear my mask into my bag and push through the self-absorbed cattle. They're still oblivious to the fact that they need to move. A few more notes of my entrance music plays as I tighten my mask and travel through the curtain. The crowd roars in delight as the bright lights warm my glowing skin and I commence the victory lap, slapping the hands of the front row as I make my way into the ring. I don't take notice of any suits, but I assume they are incognito as I walk up to the entrance ramp. The referee pats both of us down and calls to the bell as Steele looks at me like a bull waiting to charge at the matador. Cole Elba tie up headlock as Steele leads the dance. Steele lives up to his reputation as his in-ring prowess is unmatched and becomes a game of simply following the leader. I hold my own and the crowd are on edge of their seat, showing utter disdain for Steele as he gets back on top of the matchup. I fight back slowly but to no avail as the crowd is clamoring for my retribution. Shortly after that, they get their wish as I hit Steele with a stun and set up for the final stretch as Steele prepares to bump and feed and makes me look like a million dollars. The crowd chants hollow as I motion for them to chant it louder and I quickly climb to the top rope and drop the elbow. The referee counts to three and announces a winner to a roaring verification as I climb up to the second rope to celebrate my victory. I hit the back as Steele is already waiting for me and I attempt to shake his hand and thank him for the match, but he leaves me hanging and storms off. I find a corner near the monitor and watch the rest of the shows trying to relax and avoid anyone else after I drag my gym bag out of the locker room. Hades finishes his matchup, goes to the customary post-match discussion with his opponent that I didn't have the joy of experiencing tonight as I try not to make my motivations obvious as he heads back to the makeup room.
Ask about his matchup, but he cuts me off quickly and asks me what I want. I tell him I need some heavy painkillers and he offers them to me for an inflated flies, but beggars can't be choosers for this situation. I tear open the envelope and pay him as he advises me not to take them until I get home. I'm warned by his concern for my well-being as he laughs and tells me he'll kill my whole fucking family if I snitch on him to Sam. I don't plan to snitch, but it would be a lot more effective threat if I had any family to speak of. I leave him in peace to go put on a fake smile and shake hands with the hallway dwellers and most importantly get my fee for the night. I ask Sam if he's able to speak to the talent scouts and he says he didn't have an opportunity to, but I'll give him to school to discuss at a later date. So I'm guessing they were never really here and he just wants to save face rather than admit they no-showed. It is what it is. I wash down the painkillers with my lukewarm bottle of water and get charged back into street clothes, neatly packing my bags unlike the mess that I left in after last show and hit the road. I've made this trip home countless times before, but decided to drive through the back roads as I don't want to risk a fine if I get pulled over for another IDT. I drive even more like a nun than I usually do, even though the motorways are a ghost town this time of night, let alone on the back roads. The change in route doesn't make the journey home any more exciting, but my back pain eases up, making it a lot more comfortable. The roads are incredibly dark, and I'm glad I'm relying on the navigator and not the street signs as they are near impossible to read, which is not helped by what I assume is graffiti. I turn on the radio, tap my fingers, and roll down the window looking for anything to keep myself occupied as I drive through the desolate night. I continuously keep checking on the navman, and it tells me to keep continuing straight for longer than I would expect. There is absolutely nothing of interest on the radio as I try to tune it up and look up to the sound of screeching tires and blinding lights as the loud crunch of the impact startles me as I slam on the brakes. My car swerves to the side of the road as I manage to come to a complete stop and put it into park. I walk into the cold night air, the other car near horizontal across the roadway, and blocking both lanes of any potential traffic. I gingerly walk to the caved-in driver's side door, avoiding the endless array of glass scattered across the road and on the vehicle as I look up to the driver with my phone's flashlight activated. The head of the body is positioned towards me 90 degrees from the neck as his jaw is wide open, almost detached from the face, as the empty, expressionless eyes stare back at me with the door rammed into the side of its arm. The glasses produce slight tears in the flannel clothing, and both legs appear to have been broken upon impact. No sign of any movement or loose hairs as I back away to the open road, even my flashlight not giving me a clear picture of any nearby surroundings. There is not a soul in sight, and the only sound is the voice of the radio presenter being drowned out by static as I slowly walk back to my car. I assess the damage of the front and take a deep breath as I get back to my driver's seat. All systems operational as I manage to make my way back onto the road and continue my journey. The journey continues as the road turns into an endless hallway that seems to get further and further away and the monotonous voice that presented drones on about pawnbrokers as I drive wide-eyed, hand-shaking on the wheel. The scenic route finally comes to an end as I merge back onto the motorway for the final stretch of the trip passing a few cars that pay no mind to the damaged exterior of my vehicle. The drive comes to its conclusion as I pull into the parking lot of my derelict apartment complex where a car missing all of its tyres would not be a surprising sight. I finally make my way inside into my apartment once I'm able to stabilise my hand enough to grab the correct key and turn the lock correctly as I walk inside. Unable to sleep as I toss and turn on my mattress, I take two more tablets in hopes of falling asleep. The series of events run through my head. I try to clear everything from my conscious. The altercation at the roadhouse and the Tiffany incidents are still lingering in the back of my mind. Now I have this on my plate. 
I don't know why I've considered over Tiffany and her boyfriend. Any of the other guys would have just made light of the situation and not cared in the slightest. I'm awake yet again to obnoxiously loud banging that sends chills down my spine as it sounds like a large gavel being slammed into my door. I freeze momentarily, consider ignoring it, but decide against it and pull myself up to await my fate. I pull open the door knowing Judgment Day is upon me and there's a uniformed couple in front of me holding a book each. Good morning, sir. We're here to spread the good word of the Lord. They exclaim with wide smiles and white teeth you'd only see in a toothpaste commercial. I look at them blankly as they seem to struggle with their second line of the script, so I assume this is the part where the door is normally slammed in their faces. They begin their promo about Jesus dying for my sins and interrupt to confess that I killed a man last night. They mask their frustration and perceive my comment as a joke. God bless you, sir. Have a great day, they exclaim almost in unison as they hand me a flyer. Guess they have to sell tickets to upstairs as well. It contains the church's mission statement and worship times, as well as a Bible passage right on the bottom of the page. Whoever conceals their sins just does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. At least I know now it's definitely Sunday and I don't have to work today, though I'm hoping I didn't have a booking today, so I've definitely missed it. I have one day free to lay in bed and pay when the pills wear off, and stare to the ceiling expecting the police to show up my door at any moment, though that would be a first in this area. It's not like I drive a distinct vehicle, no one's going to take any note of a beaten down white car driving through the motorways in the early hours of the morning, and I feel like almost no one has travelled through these back roads since the new motorways were put in. The call comes midway through the week as I hear a deep voice on the other side of the phone preparing the question. Am I speaking with Mr. Liam Holloway? The voice asks in a demanding tone. Yes, sir, I responded, ask who I'm speaking with. I'm informed as to who they are, and they inform me that they've seen my work and asked me to attend a tryout in a month's time. I just need to provide some promotional photos without my mask on, and keep my nose clean of any controversies in the escrow period. Obviously, the last thing they want after signing is me to find out I robbed a bank or that I write anime fanfiction on some weird message board which gives them bad publicity. If I had family and friends to speak of, this is the part where I'd call them to celebrate, but instead I only have countless acquaintances. I've just been given the opportunity to achieve everything I've ever wanted, I just feel so nonchalant about it. I aimlessly flick through TV channels for the white noise and stare at my popcorn ceilings to celebrate such a momentous occasion and call it a night. Another day of lugging my cleaning supplies on the bus ahead of me. I get a call the next day from Mindy and she is ecstatic and talking so incredibly fast that I can't really comprehend what she is saying. After I listen closely, I understand the general idea of what she's saying, and she thanks me for recommending her to the talent scouts, as she's just been offered a spot at the triads as well. Before I can even get a word in, she tells me she owes me one, and tells me she has to go. If she didn't refer to me by name, I would have been convinced that she'd called the wrong number. Not every day I get someone calling me to tell me they're thankful for something I didn't even do for them. Usually it's utility companies calling to tell me my payments are late. They normally only sign one male and one female wrestler per triad, so I don't have to be worried about Mindy for any competition. I use this situation to my advantage and ask Mindy if she's able to give me a lift to the ZWZ show on the weekend if I line up some future bookings for her as I hit a deer on the drive last weekend. She agrees and tells me she'd be happy to drive me anyway after seeing my piece of junk car. As Friday rolls around, word spreads that Mindy and I have already been signed to the big leagues, which I don't deny she gives me more leverage to increase my fee for my upcoming bookings, especially with now being the champion at BWC. At ZWZ, my match has changed as now Mindy and I versus Hades and Cameron in a mixed tag team match, probably to capitalize on the news of the potential signings.
It's show day yet again and Mindy arrives on schedules to pick me up. I'm instantly reminded why I like driving alone as I do my best to drown out her incessant ramblings about the mundane wonders of the universe as I gaze out the endless replay of trees, road signs and exits that I'm all too familiar with. Beggars can't be choosers though as I'm appreciative of the lift and halving of my fuel costs. I'm telling her I'm able to get more bookings on my upcoming shows if she wants them, which she's greatly appreciative of. She informs me that Cameron has also been offered a spot at the tryouts and hopes there isn't any heat between them if only one of them gets signed. We arrive at the venue, people already acting differently toward me and congratulating me on the news. One of the boys asked me if it's true that they're going to sign one wrestler from our country this time. I don't know where he heard that from, but I assure him it's not the case. Mindy and Cameron take control of the planning of the match, which is fine by Hades and I as we engage in our extracurricular activities again and let them have the majority of the ring time. Gives me an opportunity to rest my back and not do anything too stupid before the tryout. Cameron and Mindy kill it in the ring and I have the crowd in the palm of their hands with everything going to plan until Cameron sets up for a dive she didn't call and Mindy and I huddle together to catch her as Cameron torpedoes through her out the second rope. Mindy and I smack into each other and slip which sends Cameron crashing into the hardwood floor below. Cameron screams out in pain, holding her knees. Mindy tries to check on her without breaking kayfabe as the referee throws up the X. I slide into the ring and tell Hades I'm bringing it home and roll him up for the three, despite neither of us being the legal participant. The three of us hit the back with no celebration of our victory as the referee helps Cameron to the back. Hades disappears to go back to his snow player as I rip my mask off and realize my nose is bleeding profusely. I cover my nose as Mindy looks like she is about to burst into tears as the referee carries Cameron through the curtain. She immediately berates us for not catching us. Mindy tries to apologize as Toby joins us shortly after. I interrupt her diatribe and tell her not to do dives without calling it as we were both in perfect position to catch her. Event staff take Cameron off to receive medical care as we continue talking to Toby. I tell him never to book Cameron again as she's unsafe and needs more training as she shouldn't do spots she doesn't know how to do, especially without calling it as I show him the drying blood on my hand. Mindy backs away from the confrontation as Toby tells to be more careful and I just interrupt to ask the important question. Can Mindy and I just get our fee and go? He tells me to fix me up on our agreed upon price but we will pay Mindy separately. Are you going to stiff her over this shit? I ask bewildered and he tells me that he's going to stiff her but the word is that I stole Reznor's payday after the gimmick match so he doesn't trust giving me both paydays. I explain the unsafe motherfucker can cuss me so I don't even remember the rest of that night. He asked me if there's any heat over the knee situation and I look at him in complete bewilderment. He drops and sorts of my pay as I do the rounds to say goodbye to the nameless that consider me their friend now that I have potential connections. I use my hefty increase in pay to get some goods from Hades and meet Mindy in the car park after she finishes doing the ring crew. She gives me more tissues to clear my nose up and insists on checking to see if my nose is broken or cracked. I assure her it's fine, she's completely oblivious to the situation. She's incredibly remorseful of the situation with Cameron and the fact she's now going to miss out on her tryout. I tell her the cold hard truth about this business, that no one cares about you, they care about what they can gain from you. Cameron wouldn't care if Mindy was in the situation, there's no point worrying about it. I care, she retorts as we discover we both have very different philosophies on life and the business as I pay attention to the conversation to keep my mind off my back pain. We make it back to my place and Mindy says goodbye and force me that I need to either hurry up and get my car fixed or have a positive attitude on road trips in the future. I take my car in to get repaired the following day and avoid as much small talk as possible as I tell the guy it was a roadkill situation. 
Did you hit a mammoth? He asked to which I respond, No, I ran over a guy for asking too many questions in a deadpan manner, but he cracks up in laughter. I really need to get a new car. He's driving all across the country. is going to get recognized by someone. The roadhouse situation with the junkie was one thing, but there's no way there aren't questions arising over the dead guy. Even waiting in the lobby in my back is still giving me pain, which isn't ideal this close to the show. The remaining weeks turn into repetitive haze as the triad draws near. Getting driven around by Mindy and giving Hades a cut of my fees as I get high throughout the work week on a mixture of substances to escape from surface reality. If I'm going to get busted for the hit and run incident from driving around to do my cleaning jobs rather than traveling around the motorways, I may as well go down swinging with an extra DUI charge. The beauty of working alone is I can fake my way through the few minutes of small talk I'm forced to endure a day. So long as my answer is good thanks yourself, they pay no mind to mind to my profuse sweating or dilated pupils as they cruise through the day on autopilot. The closer the triad gets, the more monotony takes its toll and even the slight joy I once derived from a job well done is lost as the triad day feels like the faithful night of driving, a dark and endless halfway that you can never catch the end of no matter how far you travel. I'm informed that the final match before my tryout will be at BWC in a triple threat match against Resnard the Volcano for the belt which I'll be dropping to Volk. I'll be on livid on the phone as Lloyd tells me the creative and he says he needs to talk the belt off me before I'm signed. I try to correct him and tell him it's just a tryout and he shouldn't have put the belt on me in the first place if he's going to take it off me on the next show. He tells me the decision is final, either show up or be stripped of the belts as I hang up. It's Friday and Mindy informs me she's winning the women's championship on the show and I feign as much excitement as I possibly can, but it's clear to see it's a political move. I can't blame Bindi for being naive to the situation when I didn't put two and two together and realize Resna is her uncle. Can guarantee Resna wants to paint me in a bad light, leading into the triad, as relying on me no showing the event or some other drama as he knows how difficult Volk can be, therefore painting Mindy in a much better light. I give him credit for a good political pay if it wasn't against me as I know deep down Reza doesn't want to deal with Volk either, hence the reason Volk is winning the belt after the no-show on the previous show. Mindy won't get involved as Reznar is her uncle and she'll understandably be too happy and focus on her championship win. Considering we are flying out to the triad on the exact same day to attend the same triad, Lloyd's reasoning for taking the belt off me makes no sense and Reznar is carrying me getting an argument on show day without it. Maybe I should finally get a doctor's appointment to check everything out and I claim wasn't medically cleared to compete just in case Lloyd asked for paperwork for the first time in wrestling history. Every possible scenario runs through my head on Friday afternoon as I partake in my ritual carefully repacking my bag to perfection. I've got enough magic left to last me for another show but I contact Hades and vaguely ask if he can supply me for my upcoming trip. You never been to an airport before Hollow? He retorts. Fair point. I realize after my perfect packing they haven't parked the BWC Championship, which isn't surprising considering I still don't remember winning it. I look at it closely and realize it's my first ever championship win and the sinking feeling sets in that I feel no joy over this compliment. Instead, I look at it closely and realize this is my first ever championship win and the sinking feeling sets in that I feel no joy over this accomplishment. Instead, I'm just critiquing its poor design and upset about having to drop it so soon. I stare down the championship waiting for the cynicism to wear off, but it never comes to fruition and I call it a night, dreading tomorrow's matchup. Unsurprisingly, Mindy is early and even more chirpy than usual as I throw my bag over my shoulder and head out to a car as I begin to lock my door, just in case someone decides to steal my fading couch and sell my TV at an antique store. Forgetting something, champ? Mindy laughs and shakes her head in disbelief from the car. In utter confusion, then I'll forget to bring my prestigious championship belt along with me. 
the final match before the big try and I'm trying my hardest not to think about the upcoming drama involved with it as Minnie tells me how excited she is for her bout. I didn't realize Reznar was your uncle, I asked, which replies, yeah, I don't think you realize a lot of things lately. You're in your own world, in a somewhat snarky tone. Maybe she's out of my emerging party habits after all, is just playing dumb. With your concussion, you seem out of it since. You should probably go get checked out before the tryout. I laugh and tell her it wouldn't be any good news until I come to the realization that we're mere acquaintances before my concussion. What is she referring to? Ask for advice on my matchup and give some great ideas even though Reznor and undoubtedly Volk want to change 90% of it. I'm appreciative of the input. I break the news that I'm not going over and dropping the belt to Volk and she seems genuinely surprised by it. Either she has a great poker face or is sincere, hard to trust anyone wrestling as courteous as they may be. Though she's probably thinking the belt was going back to Reznor, if anything. Considering how volatile the volcano is, maybe I can rely on him get an argument with Reznor, play the third wheel and dip as soon as the show is over. The trip feels shorter with Mindy's company as we're not far from pulling into the venue, which is thankfully not a glorified circus tent this time. Mindy is first in to cheerfully greet everyone and show genuine interest in it. Everyone has been while I find a secluded corner to gather my composure. One of the boys walks up to me unannounced and simply says happy birthday from Hades and hands me a wrapped gift and walks off. I'm appreciative of the customer service as I stuff it into my bag and gain my composure to put on a fake smile and say hello to everyone on the show. I make more of a Reznor and Volk and I can already tell they are in a joyful mood. So you split your fee with us tonight, Hollow? Volk asks in a demanding tone. But getting asked why that would be, but Reznor interrupts and accuses me of stealing his fee from the last show. I polite remind him that I was concussed thanks to his negligence and I don't remember anything after the match. He asks if I thought it was odd that I had more cash than usual the next day as I defend myself and ask him how he knows how much money I carry. Volk cuts in and tells me not to play dumb as I still owe him for the hotel, while Reznor stares at me wide-eyed, wondering what I needed a hotel for an hour for. Firstly, I inform Reznor he would have made sure he got his fee handed to him directly that night and stayed in rest school longer so he could learn not to concuss his opponents instead of relying on garbage deathmatch wrestling. Volk cuts in to mention the Cameron incident, which increases my already volatile temper as I tell them both in a more explicit manner that I'm leading. Get me a coke on the way out, Volk yells across the room as the guys doing ring crew stop to watch me storm outside. As Murphy's Law would have it, I bump into Lloyd who doesn't read the room at all and informs me there's a guy here doing interviews for his website if I want to do some promo before my tryout. I inform him that I'm leaving if he asks me. I travelled here with Mindy, which stops me in my tracks. It's a small world, Hollow. You've got more to lose in this situation than I do. Especially that I'm going to sign one of you. Where this rumor about only one person being signed started, I don't know, but I don't bother to correct him. I swallow my pride and realize he's right. Word will definitely get around to the talent scouts that are no longer showed, and someone will make sure of it. Look, Volk is pinning Rez, so you at least won't be pinned. Now take your happy pills, and remember I booked you as a replacement, Lloyd tells me sternly, and brushes past me. I give myself some time to calm down and get some fresh air before I can conduct the inevitable walk of Shane back into the venue. I find Mindy and an appointment Ava and hang around them as they discuss the intricacies of their match while Reznor gives me the evil eye from afar. I tell Mindy that Lloyd gave us the okay to leave instantly if she's able to wait for me in the car and we'll head off as soon as my match is finished. That way we can get her home a bit earlier. She begins to question it but we are signed by a young man that doesn't look old enough to be backstage. Unaccompanies, he asks who I wrestle for and if he can have an interview. Not today, I inform him, but Mindy takes him up on his offer instead after she finishes planning a match with Ava. As soon as Mindy's finished, the volcano storms past Ava and I and corners the interview guy. I assume he would interview Volk anyway, but it isn't his style to politely wait. 
Reznor just watches the three of us from the distance as it's a stalemate as who's decides to approach the other regarding the match tonight. Besides, even if we plan anything, Volk will just change everything at a moment's notice. The temptation to add some excitement to my night is strong, but I don't have a chance with Reznor watching me like a hawk and waiting for me to mess up. Bell time draws near as Volk is nowhere to be seen and Reznor and I still haven't discussed any part of our matchup. Mindy informs me of matches before intermissions so I'll have time to watch her match and keep my mind off the championship match which you can almost guarantee is going to be a car wreck waiting to happen, and I can't guarantee I'll walk away unscathed this time. It's showtime as the opening match takes place, and we still haven't discussed a single spot, with Volk finally making his whereabouts known, but still avoiding talking to either of us. Not the first time I've had to call in the ring, but considering it's the main event in a championship match, it's less than ideal. Mindy's match is sensational. You can tell she put a heart and soul into her performance as the crowd is absolutely delighted at her title win, as they can feel a genuine emotion resonate with them. Mandy and Ava hit the back and embraces the locker room class for the new BWC Women's Champion. Intermission hits and we still don't have a single thing planned as Lloyd checks on the three of us individually to see if everything is all good. And for what I could tell, the other two kayfabed him, as did I. It is now time for tonight's main event, echoes through the room as the announcer explains it's a triple threat match, therefore anything goes. Resna and the Volcano make the individual entrances as the time my mask on will be the last time on the independent scene. I take a deep breath as I hear the rumbling in the crowd and stand behind the black curtain, peering into the darkness yet again before I venture into the warm light. And their opponent, weighing in at 240 pounds and hailing from the void, he is the BWC Hardcore Champion, Liam Hollow. I've got to work the heel for the last matches and taken back by the mixed reception as I make my entrance with the prestigious replica belt that is the BWC Championship. I look over to the other two with a laser focus on me and I hand the belt over to the referee. The referee checks on the three of us to see if we're good to go as he rings the bell. Reznor and Volk charge at me as I roll out of the ring, much to the chagrin of the crowd. I let Reznor and Volk do the majority of the matchup. It becomes a cat and mouse game. Anything they try to get involved me in the match up. I'm a few days away from the tryout, so I'm trying to get hit with as little gimmicks as possible. They accept the fact this is becoming a glorified singles match as the only offense I use is to pull away from them, but the crowd are too invested in Reznor and Volk hitting each other with weapons to care. I get up on the apron, I can sense it's getting close to go home time, but Volk hits me with a stiff forearm and knocks me back off the apron. And we want tables, Chance breaks out and Reznor obliges, rolling out of the ring in front of me and pulling a wooden table out from underneath the ring as the crowd loses its collective mind. For all I can hear, Reznor and Volk pull back and forth until Reznor comes flying over the ropes on top of me and lands at me directly. Get in the fucking ring, he barks at me as I kick him in the ribs for good measure as I get back and slide into the ring. I get to a vertical base and attempt to run at the volcano, but he stops me in my tracks in a bear hug as my eyes catch the blazing inferno in front of me as he deadlifts me for an overhead belly-to-belly -belly suplex. I flip in the air as I see the flames I'm about to land back first on fast approaching me. The crowd screams as the smell of gasoline lingers and I rapidly roll across the ring to extinguish the flame as I feel my skin burn. Reznor changes back to the ring, only to be stopped by the volcano and covered for the three count. I pat down my flesh repeatedly as I feel like I'm still burning before grabbing the championship and ripping the microphone from the announcer's hand. Considering I was not pinned, nor did I submit, I am still your BWC Hardcore Champion. I march off with the belt in hand as the crowd jeers heavily and the volcano is ready to erupt. I hit the back, barge Lloyd out of my way as he screams at me and meet Mindy in the parking lot as I stuff the championship in my bag on the way. She drives us oblivious to Royd running after us in the car in her rearview mirror and asks if I'm planning to rob a bank as I'm still in gear. 
After we get on the road, I pull my mask off and she asks her one to stop at the roadhouse for a shower when we get there as she rubs her face, probably a less direct way of telling me I reek of gasoline. I steer the conversation to a matchup and congratulate her on her championship and discuss her matchup, which she's incredibly proud of. Finally, Mindy cracks and tells me she understands I had a main event match, but she won't drive me the rest of the way if I don't freshen up when we stop. The stop comes and I pull my hoodie out of my bag and anxiously walk in to pay for my fuel and the shower ticket. Chin bag over my shoulder, I walk up to the counter as the clerk looks me up and down, assessing my every move. Did you win the fight, he asks, as I tell him my pump number, as if we were the only car parked. I smile politely and ask for my shower ticket. Your secret is safe with me. Hollow. He exclaims, I feel my soul jump out of my burnt and aching body. I try to read his name tag, which I'm almost certain says Travis, and the name doesn't ring any bells. The shower feels like a gift from the gods, despite the rusty and unpleasant surroundings. I've been to cleanse myself without interrupting and change back into regular clothes. That dude was so weird, I exclaimed to Mindy as I explained how creeped out I was by the clerk, only for her to laugh hysterically, which catches me off guard. She points out that I walked in with gear that says Liam Hollow, but without my mask. He probably knows me from the shows. She continuously laughs and asks if I'm secretly on any most wanted list, as it should have been obvious that's what he was referring to. I steer the conversation to ask how the interview went on the show, and she said it went really well and said it'd be uploaded on the guy's website sometime tomorrow. As if I was meant to know what the guy's website was, let alone his name. We organised the travel plans for Tuesday. I'll stay at her house Monday night so we can get a taxi and leave early on Tuesday morning for our flight. Works out better than trying to make a storage closet of a home hospitable so it works for me. We make it back to my place and Mindy drops me off while demanding I buy a new car if I get signed as she quickly drives away from the apartment complex. I call it a night immediately, seemingly dozing off as soon as I hit the mattress. I wake up almost 12 hours later, having missed multiple phone calls and endless stream of messages. I finally return Mindy's calls as she is irate and demands I give the belt back to Volk. She says she appreciates me getting her to try it in the first place, but the situation puts her in a bad spot with Reznor and for both of us leaning into the triad. She tells me she's disappointed that I lied to her about the whole situation, especially as she put me over a lot during the interview. I apologize despite only lying by omission, and I tell her I'll return the belt to Vogue someday today, even though I suspect Sunset is looming. I take Mindy's thoughts on board and ask for Vogue's address, which is a challenge considering I can barely remember his name. I find the requirements close to my home by my travel standard, so I can turn it tonight and get it over and done with. I get ready and make my way to my car as I click on one of the upteenth messages I receive, and it's one of the boys telling me to listen to Vogue's interview with a link attached. Seems fitting for the drive as I load it up and start listening. After the volcano finishes putting himself over, he discusses our then upcoming match for BWC that night. He says he's incredibly disappointed in my behaviour as doing the favours for another wrestler is a sacred tradition and I should respect that as a rookie. He cushions the blow a little by telling them that I'm an incredible worker and in-ring generous, but is not having worked together at the time of recording, only to lament that I have let my demons overcome my potential as he thinks there are many more deserving talents would have taken the opportunity much more seriously. He rattles on with all his other accomplishments as I zone out and enjoy the Sunday drive to his home. Belt returned, problem solved. Monday morning rears its ugly head, the last work day before Mindy and I fly out for the biggest opportunity of our wrestling careers, and it couldn't be any more of an inconvenient, time-consuming cleaning day. The minutes feel like hours as the temptation to go on a final trip for the flight tomorrow is overwhelming, but I need to make sure this is done to absolute perfection 
I can't have bad cleaning reviews and ruin my flawless reputation if the wrestling gigs falls through. Unlike wrestling, I can't ditch the mask and create a new persona. After what feels like eternity, my work is done and I head home. I check my mailbox, which is mostly junk and what I assume to be a court summons. I don't bother to read it, but I can sort out my outstanding parking fines at a later date. Mindy picks me up shortly after, neither of us are in a particularly talkative mood. No heat between us as we smooth the volcano situation over, but the nerves definitely getting the better of us as we know tomorrow is judgment day. Mindy tells me she's never been in a plane before and I wish I could say the same as of the tedious airport routine down to a fine art. We have dinner and call it a night as I spend obsessively packing and repacking my bags, trying to get to sleep on Mindy's couch with all of our luggage sprawled throughout the room. I assure myself I have the courage to go through tomorrow's proceedings, the final obstacle, and finally getting signed to the big leagues is to ace the tryout. Day breaks with the two of us ridden and ready for the day's challenges. As luck would have it, it takes us an unusual amount of time to book a taxi. Tuesday morning must have become the new Saturday as of late. I would prefer to travel in one of our cars, but leaving a car at the airport is a costly and annoying venture. The traffic is bumper to bumper as it always is this time of morning, and to add to the frustration, the powers that be have decided now is the perfect time to commence roadworks. Mindy uses the backseat to stretch it out and get some extra sleep in. The taxi drivers use the opportunity to tell me a life story and all the trials and tribulations that have come with it. It makes for an interesting journey as much as arriving late to the airport is irritating me. A lot of people find silence uncomfortable so they tend to overshare and break it and you find some incredibly peculiar things about them. The taxi driver senses I'm actually listening and not just being polite as we finally make it off the busy highway. The conversation level leads to what I do for work and I just discuss my cleaning gig and all the various situations I've dealt with. She asks if I found the crime scene cleaner was difficult to deal with. I explain you can't prepare yourself for the assault on your senses, walking into a room painted red and scattered with brain matter for the first time, but you get over it eventually. Now it's just routine. I cleaned up a homicide only yesterday, and getting everything back to normal is my only focus. I find it rewarding at times to help shield the general public from the horrors of reality. Did they tell you the name of the victim, she asked out of curiosity? Vic Douglas, I reply. We pull up to the airport as Mindy gradually wakes up and I give the taxi driver a generous tip by my standards and wish her all the best. Taxi driver asks if we want a hand with our bags but I insist we are okay. I give Mindy her bags as she becomes fully alert from her nap and we head inside. Mindy lags behind me as I navigate the airport. She looks around in wonderment, having never flown before while well, I'm more so concerned with actually making a flight. We get to the checkpoint and put my bags down get ready for the song and dance that I've been through many times before as Mindy is a person behind me as she takes her time getting herself organized for the ordeal. I get the all clear, collect my shoes and belongings as the person behind me gets the green light as well. Mindy nervously walks through the scanner and stops by her bag going through the x-ray machine. She's pulled aside by the agents as they walk away and look up to find my gate. I make my way to the gate in time just as they've begun the final boarding calls and I rush them to show my ticket and board their aircraft. Have a nice flight, Mr. Holloway. The flight attendant smiles at me as he hands my ticket back and I take my window seat crammed in economy, awkwardly pushing past the purse of the aisle seat, crammed in. They repeat the calls for the missing passages for the final time as I grab my phone out. I open up the link to Vlogs Bury Me Again and navigate to Mindy's interview as I put my headphones on to drown in the emergency evacuation procedure spiel. If we crash, I'll probably be dead. I get it. I skip through to find any mentions of me and Mindy says I've been a fantastic travel companion all about being one of the cheapest people she's ever met in her life. She claims she's incredibly excited for the opportunity both of us have in front of us to potentially be seen on an international stage and wishes me all the best. 
Just as I told her from the start, no one cares about you in this business. They only care about what they can gain from you. Also a good lesson to never leave your bags unattended. The attendant chastises me and tells you to put my phone in airplane mode and buckle up as we prepare for takeoff. We take off and I watch the distant city skyline turn into miniatures as I get higher and higher, gradually ascending through the clouds and peering out into the endless sea of blue. Tryout was a massive success and here I am finally making my grand debut at the biggest show in town. I knew all along it was leading to this, but the reality is starting to set in. My heart is pounding a million miles an hour as the moment of judgment is upon me. The noise is deafening as I make my grand entrance. The flashing lights are even more blinding than usual. As I make my way down and people are screaming my name already as they stare at my uncovered face. All the attention is on me as I make my way into the ring, the most important fight of my life. As my opponent stares back at me and I consider the time I'll need to adjust to my surroundings as I assess the four corners. Everything happens so fast as the chaotic environment makes it hard to focus and before I know it, it's all over. I stand up to raise my hand as it is grabbed, with a combination of the flashing and yelling making an incredibly hard moment to appreciate. I'm finally living the moment this is leading to. Everything that's being built up over time is now right in front of me. I look into the distance as I reflect on the countless situations I weasel myself out of and the many people I screwed over to get myself in this situation. No punishment for my actions to speak of. No repercussions to deal with and little consequences for my actions. Truly the only thing I feared all along was the penance for my sins. No matter how close I flew to the sun, I was never going to get burnt. Once I came to the realization that the judgment was never coming, I did everything in my path to make sure this day would come at any cost. That day came and I felt nothing. No tears of joy, feeling of a weight lifted off my shoulders, nor a feeling of achievement. After I reached the goal I spent my entire life pursuing. Just as I have no remorse nor empathy for the people I screwed over to get here, nor regret for the situations I manipulated. Nothing to feel but emptiness. I take my seat and read through the loving messages from my family and friends that supported me throughout my journey as well as my many acquaintances that I don't like and people that I don't know. I sit down and grasp my belt in my hand as I look down at my BWC championship that is as cold as I am and accept the inescapable truth that I am hollow.